You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. Going to recap a trip from last week with you. We're going to talk also today about how to know when to give up on an area, when to give up on the spot that you picked and go somewhere else. Because that is what you have to do a lot this time of year to succeed. You can still find groups of fish in large numbers in certain areas, but if they were there today, they may not be there tomorrow. It can be a frustrating time of year to guide because you've got a lot of things going against you, like it may be cloudy and overcast one day, and then crisp, clear, full sun the next day. It may be blowing 18 miles an hour one day and only blowing eight the next. So the conditions change from day to day, and you have to go out there and put the puzzle together almost every time you're on the water. But this time of year can really result in in great fishing. Uh, we've had, I've had a couple of trips in a row that have just been fantastic. So let's dive into the recap of the last trip. Had my buddy Paul Randall out. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, You're thinking we probably got skunked because Paul was on the boat. Nope. Paul shook that skunk off early. He brought out a uh, buddy of his named Nick. Uh, Super cool dude. Uh, We had a lot in common. I used to both volunteer for an organization called Young Life. I did that many years ago and really enjoyed that. And so uh, we hit it off. Anyone associated with Paul is usually a pretty, pretty good dude. So uh, we had a great time. We get out there, and I go back to a place where I had found lots of redfish just a few days prior, and we only found one redfish. Uh, Paul caught the first redfish, uh, beautiful fish, mid-slot, and he caught it pretty early, But and I was just about to give up on that spot when he hooked that fish. And we stayed maybe longer than we should have because he hooked that fish. But it was good. We we were starting to see mullet. And and so I stuck around. But that's really that's really kind of the key. So when you're looking for uh the signs, what do you want to see to make you stick it out in an area and grind it out and keep looking for fish? Well, this time of year, I'm looking for mullet. I'm look, I've am i said this over and over, but you're looking specifically for finger mullet. There will and should be some horse mullet mixed in, but if you're just seeing large groups of horse mullet, which you're talking, you know, 10, 12-inch mullet, you may not be in an area that is stacked with redfish, they are eating the finger mullet. It's not very often that you're going to see 
you know, a 12 inch mu- a mullet in the belly of a slot redfish. That's a lot of a meal for that guy. So, so you have to look for finger mullet. And this time of year, I'm looking for water clarity because I want to see the mullet and I want to see the fish. Now, we had an overcast day and we had a windy day when we were out last, uh, I can't remember what day it was, Thursday or Friday. And so we we just had to work with the conditions that we were dealt. And what that meant was I was trying to hide from the wind at first. That's where we went first was a place I knew we could hide from the wind. And when you hide from the wind and you can get to an area where the ripple from the wind has been cut uh, off the water, it makes visibility a lot better. And so sometimes when you have a windy day, I will focus on narrower creeks and channels that are shallow because uh, visibility is better. And I've noticed that mullet like those areas. They like to channel up into these little creeks. And so you won't find me fishing um, a whole lot of just shorelines of back lakes this time of year. I'm not going to say I won't do it, especially if I have a nice clear day. I I will go do that uh, that has really low wind. But typically with just uh, your normal 12 to 15 mile an hour winds and, uh, you know, if you whether you're overcast or sunny, I'm looking for the opportunity to give us the best chance at seeing the fish far enough away to where we can get a good cast on them. So I went to the creeks and caught that one fish and then... We changed and went back further back into the marsh against my own advice that I gave last week and caught one small redfish and a trout back there, but it was a grind. Uh, I stayed a little longer than I thought I should have there as well. But it was kind of one of those things where I thought, well, the next next 100 yards is going to be where it's at. And it just wasn't. So... By this point in time, it was 11 a.m. We only had a slot redfish, a small redfish, and a decent, it was, I think it was about a 17, 18 inch trout that we had caught. Uh, And so I wasn't real happy with that. So we picked up and changed zip codes. Did not uh, stay in any marsh, really. We went out and fished some main bay stuff, but... Like I said, 99% of the time I'm in very shallow water, right? So that's what we stuck with. Um, we fished oyster. We fished um, a little uh, a little pocket uh, that was very shallow. And it had varying depths. It had structure. But more importantly than that, it had mullet. So we get over there and my phone rings. And it's my wife, and she does not normally call me at 11 o'clock in the morning when she knows I'm on the boat. She calls me once in the morning, you know, around about, you know, 8 o'clock, checks in, and it's uh, it's usually real quick. Hey, how you doing? Love you. Bye. Okay, good. And she called me back at 11. I was like, uh-oh. So she says, I'm locked out of my car and the house. Huh. She says, can you come home? And my 
initial instinct is like, no, I can't come home. Uh, we're doing important stuff here. But I thought, man, uh, she's got, she's got no help, but me, I have the key, but I'm, I'm out in the middle of the bay. I'm, I'm two hours minimum from being home. Cause I've got to go put the boat up, drop the guys off, get the gear off. Um, and then, you know, I should clean and flush the boat, but I, if I say I put that off till later and I just head home, I'm still, you know, I'm an hour drive with no traffic. So I was like, there's gotta be a better way. So I had, um, I instructed her to have our nine-year-old son jump the fence and I knew of a spot he could get in that I will not publicly disclose on the, on the podcast. But, uh, I knew that she had spare keys in the house to her car. So, uh, she sent the, the nine-year-old in, uh, he got in, got the keys. They unlocked the car. All was well. I did not have to go home. So we kept fishing and we tried varying depths, but we weren't fishing that we passed over deep water to fish the shallower water. The point was not to fish the deep water, but I did expect to pick up a fish or two in the deeper water uh, because of the structure it was associated with. We had lots of hard structure. We had shell, we had rocks, we had all that kind of stuff. And so uh, moving around there, we get to the edge of where I'm like, man, I thought I would have thought somebody would have picked up and caught a fish by now. And Paul hooks another mid-slot red at that time, right as we're coming out of the deep area, transitioning into the shallower area. And then I've got this really shallow back pocket that I have a choice to make. Do I pull the boat directly into the 15 mile an hour wind so that we can get up into this pocket? And I knew that the right answer was yes, but I was, I was pretty whipped. Uh, just, you know, I've been shoving into the wind all day. And so I decided to, to go ahead and do it. So we shoved up in there and that's where we, we really found a high concentration of fish, uh, because we had nice clear water. We had mullet, uh, lots of finger mullet dancing around everywhere. And we had the structure, the type of structure that the fish love. We had grass, uh, we had hard mud, uh, we had changing depths and little pockets and stuff like that. And so it worked out. Uh, Nick caught a stud of a fish. This fish was 20, about 26 inches long, which isn't, you know, breaking in your record book or anything, but the fish was heavy. And the coolest thing about that fish was that it had one eye. It looked like it had, uh, it looked like it had an injury early on in life. And, uh, the eye was completely gone and the the skin and scales had just grown over the top. And so it just, the eye was completely missing. There's just a tiniest bit of an indentation where you can tell it was many years ago. So I thought that was super cool. That was a great fish. Um, we ended up catching several fish in that little pocket and then on the way out of it. And so uh, we ended up we ended the day with nine redfish and a trout, which staring down the barrel of what we had in the tank at 11 o'clock, we came off the water at two and uh, two, two thirty, And 
I mean, it was a great day. Nine redfish, that's a good day. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. But I have learned this time of year that it they're not they're probably not going to be where you left them. And if you're not finding them up in the marsh, you need to you need to be able to diversify your game and have multiple areas you can check that are not associated with the marsh. Still shallow areas, but not uh, way back in some marsh. I'll tell you, fishing the edges uh, near the the spillout of certain marshes can really pay off uh, with the tide level the way it is right now, and the way those mullet fluctuate. They like to get up into those uh, into those uh, leeward areas, and that's something else that I want to I want to drill down. Windblown shoreline, even though I'm like not, I'm admittedly not a believer in that uh, anyway. I just don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock into the windblown shoreline thing unless the wind is absolutely just sustained 18 to 20. Okay. But anything outside of that, I'm not, I'm not writing writing that too much into my equation. What I will do is this time of year, because you have cooler water temperatures, and right now it's not quite cold enough to matter, but when it gets into the the low to mid 50s, I will look for leeward shorelines because the water will be a tad bit warmer over there and it gives the bait an extra level of comfort. It's just like go back and listen to go back and listen to the episode I did entitled uh Redfish are like people, right? We're motivated by the same things. We want uh food and comfort, right? So bait the bait they're also looking for food and comfort, but they're they're looking for protection. That would be kind of your third uh, thing that they're worried about, and humans do the same thing. Those finger mullet, rather than sitting like if you were, if you were, let's say your heater went out in your house, and so it was slightly uncomfortable in the mornings. Let's say it got down in the in the mid sixties. My heater just cut on right when I said that. I had to turn it off. So let's say it's in the mid 60s and you were a little chilly and you had two rooms in your house and one of them had the fan blowing and you couldn't turn it off and the other had no fan blowing. What room would you go sit in? You'd go to the room without the fan, right? The bait and the redfish are the same. I say the bait first because the redfish are fairly resilient fish. They put up with a lot when it comes to temperature changes. And so they're going to follow the finger mullet and the finger mullet are going to move in to leeward areas where they don't have the wind blasting uh, right there on them in a foot of water. Because a foot of water, a foot, foot and a half, two feet of water, the wind is going to affect. It's going to affect the uh, the temperature a lot more. Sometimes I've measured it with my transducer and you can get two to three degree temperature changes based on where the wind's blowing. So 
I will focus in on areas uh, where I can hide from the wind because I believe the bait is doing the same thing. And sometimes that means I have to push into the face of the wind to get up into areas where uh, there, there are small protected pockets. But that is on purpose because I believe the bait's doing the same thing and the redfish are doing the same thing. And uh, I proved that to be right. That's exactly what we did this week. It's exactly what I did last week. I found enormous amounts of redfish in both locations. So uh, that and uh, lots of structure. The fish are tied to structure. The bait are tied to structure. Uh, there's not a whole lot of wandering, roaming free out in the middle of nowhere, although that does, that does happen from time to time. You're going to want to focus in on you know, especially us shallow water guys that are going to sight cast, you want to get areas that that bring together everything you're going to need. If it's if you got wind blowing, you find you a leeward uh, little creek or a creek that's crosswind so that uh, you don't have the ripples in the water. You want it to be shallow. You want to go hunt down mullet. And if you get there and you don't see any mullet, but you saw a stingray. Okay. All right. I'm staying. Move up a little further. You're pulling a little further. You see a sheep's head. Okay, good. You see three or four horse mullet. All right. I'm staying. I like where this is going. And then the next thing you're going to want to see is the finger mullet. You have to, you have to zero in on those or uh, you're you're going to be in the wrong spot. So if I am following that progression and best case scenario is I see all of those things in an area, uh, not in that order, but just at any time I'd show up. I'm like, Oh, there's a group of finger mullet. Cool. We're in the right spot. And then I'll eventually see a stingray and I'll see a sheep's head and I'll see redfish. If I'm in an area and I've been there for, you know, two or 300 yards uh, of polling, and I haven't seen, you know, two or more of those factors in the equation, I'm picking up and moving. It is not uncommon for me to move three or four times on a trip uh, this time of year, because you can waste a lot of time in an area that was productive for you last week, and it's just not productive for you this week. So I don't know why they move so much. It could be that the mullet are uh, in such large numbers that they are exhausting their food source in an area and then moving. I have no idea. I know that mullet eat decaying matter and, you know, decaying plants and fish and all kinds of stuff, right? So they could go in and deplete an area and then move on to the next. I'm not sure. Jury's still out on that. I'm still kind of mentally collecting data for that deal. It's very possible that I might uh, I might fish tomorrow. Today's Wednesday. I might fish tomorrow with a client, and uh, I am, Lord willing, definitely fishing with a client on Friday. And I'm looking forward to it. We've got low winds tomorrow. Not no wind, but low winds, so that'll be nice. And it'll be a good scout out for uh, for Friday. Friday, the wind's going to kick up a little bit. But we've got northwest in the forecast, which means 
I think we're going to end up with lower water than we are expecting, which is going to change some of the areas. I was already fishing some areas that I can barely get into. So it's going to change the game a little bit, but hey, uh, I have no fear. I have lots of places to go check and I'm not afraid to spin it up and and make a run uh, to a different location if we need to. So that's a game plan. If you're getting out uh, this time of year, it's that time of year that's just annoying because you're freezing cold in the morning and then come midday, if you have a nice sunny day and it's 60 and you're you know, chunking lures or making a bunch of casts on the fly rod, you start to get hot and you start to shed layers. I'll tell you what I do is I have a normal uninsulated base layer. I will just wear my normal fishing pants. I've got like a pair of water wicking fishing pants from uh, Marshware that I like. I've got the free fly pair uh, that I also like. I'll wear those with nothing underneath except for obviously my underwear and socks. And then I'll wear a regular fishing shirt and I'll put a light hoodie over the top of that. And then on top of all of that, I put my insulated Sims bib overalls and, uh, and then I put a light rain jacket on over that for the run out so that the wind doesn't uh, freeze me to death. And also if I, if it's windy and I catch some spray and I'm going to get wet, keeps me dry, uh, keeps me warm. And then I could take that rain jacket off and I'm comfortable till, you know, somewhere around 11 or noon. And I may shed those overalls uh, and just, you know, fishing my regular clothes for the last couple of hours. So that's kind of my game plan. What I'd suggest you don't do is, uh, is where the thermal and the pants and the sweater and the hoodie and the jacket and the just, if you've got four or five layers on, then it's just going to be a pain. You're going to, there's going to be clothes everywhere. You're going to be shedding clothes two or three times in the morning and, uh, try to find a shell layer for the outside that's going to keep you dry that's the most important thing because you do not want to get wet even from boat spray uh this time of year it's just miserable and uh it will help you to be lighter warmer and then you can shed you have minimal uh stuff to shed so that's my two cents on that i am going to the aggie bowl game against my will tonight but sometimes you just got to do you just got to take one for the team uh me and my domestic coordinator and my father-in-law and and uh all but one of the children Nora Kate staying behind uh with some friends and we're all the rest of us are going to the game but it's not in College Station. It's at NRG here in Houston, so that will be better. But I'll still get home late, and I'm fishing early in the morning. But I don't care. I'm used to that. Uh, I've got to pick out a backlash that Reed left in my reel from the last time I took him out uh, before the trip. So, And it's a doozy, too. So i got to get there early, pick out that backlash. But other than that, I'm looking forward to it. I'm itching to get on the water. All of this, uh, All this holiday stuff. I'm ready for New Year's is my favorite holiday of the year. 
It feels fresh. It feels like we're starting over. It feels like I can forget all of uh, all the things I didn't accomplish this year, and I can focus on accomplishing them next year. So I hope that you guys all had a very Merry Christmas. I hope that you have a wonderful New Year. I will be fishing as often as possible. Uh, January can offer some really good, fun sight casting days if we can play the weather to our advantage. So if you want to book in January, uh, you want to sight cast, January is one of the last months that we really get a good look at sight casting. And I say that because you can still sight cast in February, but the weather in February is going to throw us more curveballs than January or December. So the most opportunities we're going to have going to be in January. Probably um, going to have a few in February, but it gets it gets miserable in February. We're still going to fish, though. Uh, and then, you know, mid-March, things start normalizing and, and the wind starts howling again every day, and we just have to deal with it. So that's the plan. If you want to book me, uh, go to captmattparish.com. You can see the dates I have available there, and you can either select your date and you go ahead and book it on the site and put down your deposit. It's all It all happens right there. Just push the book now, and you get to pick whether you want a half day or a full day. Uh, it tells you all of the about information, what to expect when you're out on the water with me. We are not, uh, we're not going to keep any fish. I'm not set up to keep fish. I don't have a, uh, a cooler that I pack with ice or anything like that. If you are a repeat customer and you would like to bring a redfish or two home, I'm okay with that. Uh, as long as we discuss it beforehand and you bring, uh, something to keep the, uh, the fish in. So, uh, all is well there, but all of my first time customers, I practice, uh, catch and release only. And so that's what you can expect out on a trip with me. Uh, let's get into our Bible tidbit. All right, today's Bible tidbit. Today it's for you guys that uh, that purely listen to this podcast for the fishing uh the fishing advice and you get to this part and you either suffer through it or you turn it off <laughs> before uh before it gets too deep into it i totally get it i'm glad you're here i appreciate you listening i appreciate you uh putting up with my perspective and uh i think that's important so what i want to say to you guys is i know that some of you don't have even much of a perspective or much of an opinion on uh, on Jesus or what it means that he came uh, to earth and was born to Virgin Mary as a baby, and he grew up and lived a sinless life and was murdered by his own people on the cross at the age of 33 and all that. Like, you may know bits and pieces of the story. It doesn't really hit home for you, uh, but what I want to say to you guys is this story has such a global impact. It 
affected uh, it affected everything. It's been documented not just in the Bible, but in history. You can go back and read uh, the historian Josephus, uh, his account of all that took place. And so, what I hope that uh, that you would do this time of year as a Christmas present to me is do the same thing that I did when I was uh, 17 years old. I did not grow up in church. I thought it was silly. I always kind of had a belief that God existed, but I was not into the church thing, and I kind of just recoiled at the whole idea of any any of it. Um, I ran across a verse in Hebrews chapter chapter twelve, and it said, um, "Well, the the whole it's verses like one through three, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded." By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy went before us on the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." And then this is the part that that gets me. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. That consider him part. Consider him. That's what I want you to do for me is just consider the story. Consider the global impact that the arrival of Christ made. And then maybe you could consider the impact that it might make on you as a person in your family. That's what I did when I was 17. And uh, I can't explain it. Something happened to me. I would like to, I would like to tell you that I sat down and made a rational decision to follow Christ, but that's not true. Uh, I felt like uh, God tracked me down and, uh, and took uh, a burden from me and in, and in that process gave me all the grace and the peace and the love that he had to offer. And it changed my life. So I hope that uh, you guys have had such a great Christmas. I hope that you will consider Christ and what he means for your own personal life. I really appreciate all of you as our little podcast family. I love to hear from you guys. If you want to reach out to me, you can email me at emptystringers at gmail. Uh, you can uh, send me a direct message on Instagram at empty underscore stringers or on TikTok at empty stringers. And I'd love to go fishing with you. I'd love to hear from you about how uh, the podcast has helped you catch more fish. That's what we're all about. And we'll see you next time. 